The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. So the goal on Sunday nights is to give opportunity for people to preach, which we'll do. I'll probably be preaching most of them, would be my guess, but Pastor Scott, Pastor Spencer will preach some of them as well as some others within our church who have been called to preach and to give them opportunities, because I do believe here's the best place for them to have opportunities. Hopefully we'll give them grace as they grow. Uh, in their preaching, and so they'll have opportunities as well, and then maybe once in a while, a missionary or two to speak also, because we get calls all the time for missionaries to come and speak, and so we'll probably use Sunday evenings for that. Uh, The goal is to preach on Sunday evenings for 20 to 25 minutes. That's the hope. I don't know if you'd notice if it was 26, 27, 28. I don't know if you're counting but the goal is to keep it 20 to 25 minutes. But when I preach for the next while on Sunday evenings, what I want to do is I want us to look at the attributes of God. Uh, This is something that I've taught before, not from a pulpit, but more in a group setting. And there's quite a bit of things uh, that we can talk about when it comes to the attributes of God. I do wanna share with you some of the books that I I use. This isn't all of them, uh, but this is is some of them. A.W. Tozer has a two-part series on the attributes of God, which are really good and helpful uh, to read. I just got this book uh, a few weeks ago. It's actually more of a devotional type book. It's 31 Meditation on God's Character and Attributes, called None Else, by Joel Beakey and Brian Cosby. Very short, but it just talks about different attributes and characteristics of God and some reflection, some questions to ask. That was good. Uh, Another one is... I printed this off. It's not really in book form. It's more on uh, YouTube and stuff, but by Steve Lawson. He has a, a, a thing that he did on the attributes of God as well that I really enjoyed. And so got a lot of stuff from those guys, but as well as um, a lot of systematic theology books, Grudem, uh, Burkhoff, Hodges. Some of the, those main names might not mean anything to you, but I think it's important just to share you know, kind of what I'm reading and studying and looking at this. And here's the reason why. As we study the attributes of God, it's gonna be, it's gonna be very hard for me to tell you this. This is what I do every Sunday morning. Take your Bible now and turn with me to this passage because we're gonna bounce around. We're gonna be going all over the place as we're looking at these different attributes. Uh, we wanna be faithful to God's word and we still wanna be expositional in our preaching and teaching, but we're gonna have to bounce around so that we can see the attributes of God and how they, and how they play out. And so the first place I'm gonna go to is Romans 1. If you wanna go there, you can. Romans 1, verse 19 and 20 is where we'll go in a second. Uh, but the question might come up, I need to tie myself. Why the attributes of God? Why study the attributes of God? Why are they important? Why are they important for us to know? I think the first answer to that is we need to know God in order to truly love God. You can't truly love him if you don't know him, if you do not understand him. It really helps us in our greatest times of need, in our greatest times of hurt or suffering or trials to know that we can stand on the truths of God that are unchanging. Just the true facts about God of who he is. This is his character. These are his attributes. And we can hold to this 100%. We never have to doubt them. And so when we're going through a a trying time, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is with us. Why? Because he's omnipresent. We know that's one of his attributes, but we have to know that about him to be able to hold on to that truth, to be able to hold on to that fact. 
And so we need to know these things and be taught these things and learn these things in order to hold on to those things. Another reason why I think it's important is because God himself has made himself known. He has given us a way to know him. We can know him. This is where Romans 1, 19 through 20 comes in because Paul would write there. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. This is just talking about people because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now Paul uses this to talk about something else, but we see here that God has made himself known. We can know him. We don't have to uh, you know, create some God somewhere over there and maybe hope that that's the God. No, God has made himself known. The real God has made himself known to us. Also, you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, uh, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So it talks about how through Jesus, we can know God through Christ. Now, granted, our knowledge about God will be limited. But the reason that it's limited is because of God's grandeur. It's because of God's perfection. It's because of God's eternality, eternality which we just, we, we can't comprehend that. It's too great for us. I mean, we can read it. We can know the definition of words, which one of them we'll talk about today. But it's hard for us to really grasp all of it. And so our knowledge is very limited in it. As we go through the attributes of God, you'll notice that many of God's attributes are connected together. It's hard to talk about one and not talk about many of the other ones. And so they will definitely overlap. And so, for example, when you try to talk about the fact that God is a merciful God, it's hard not to talk about the grace of God. <laughs> they kind of go together. Or if I try to talk to you about God's sovereignty, it's hard not to also talk about his omni-attributes, how he's all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. It's hard to do that. And so we will be hitting on all those as we go through this together. Today, our goal is to talk about the aseity of God or God's eternal self-existence, God's self-sufficiency. When you see that word aseity, it just makes you sound smart, I guess, if you say it. But it's a Latin word, and it means from himself, that God is from himself. And so when we read something like Psalm 90, 
verse one through four, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Before anything was, before there was ever anything, God was. We see this as a very first line of scripture. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was there always. God existed in Trinity, in perfect relationship, and he always has existed in that way. God wasn't sitting there one day and all of a sudden realized he was missing something, that he was in need of something, and because of this need, God decided to create. No. That's not God. Then he wouldn't be self-sufficient. No, in God's self-sufficiency, he didn't create us because he had some sort of need. What we see in scripture is the reason that God created us is God created us for his own pleasure. And in seeing that God created us, when he's the perfect God, perfectly self-sufficient, doesn't have need of anybody else, but the fact that he did create us shows us the great love that he has for us in creating us. He didn't need to do that, but yet he did do that. And so God has always existed in this perfect Trinity relationship. I already mentioned that God needs nothing, but we see this also in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 to 25. The writer there, Luke in Acts says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There's, there's nothing that you or that I can do to elevate God or to help God in any way. It, it, we, are, we are fooling ourselves if we think that way. You know, if I, if I just go and do this, it will make God so good. This is why I, I really hate the phrase, I'm gonna make Jesus famous. That's a really popular thing right now for people to say and churches to say. I'm going to make Jesus famous as if you are going to elevate him in any way, shape, or form. That's not going to happen. You're not going to elevate. You're not his marketing campaign. Okay? Well, we, can't, we can't do that. Yes, we are to go and tell people about Christ. Yes, God uses the church and the body of Christ to share the gospel, to minister to people. Yes, we have the privilege of being a part of that. But it's not like we're elevating God and his status in any way as we do that. In Job 41.11, it would say, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. This is God speaking to Job. Who can give me anything that I should say, oh, thanks, I needed that. Can I pay you back? No, because everything's his. Everything is his. All things are his. He has no need at all. We see in scripture that God tells uh, Moses his name in the book of Exodus. And you remember what he tells Moses, he says, I am who I am. This is the name that God gives us of himself. And we always see it in big, bold letters uh, in scripture. I am who I am. This denotes his complete completion. He is complete. I am who I am and he's eternal in, in this saying and what he is giving us with his name. 
So even God in giving us his name shows us how he is self-sufficient in need of, of nothing else. God being self-sufficient, therefore then, rules over everything forever. In Psalm 93, verse two, the psalmist says, your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Some of you might like to study history and you might like to study you know, people who had great influence, whatever it might be, good or bad, you know, kings of old, rulers of old, maybe, maybe it's missionaries of old. You like to read about old missionaries, which is really fascinating and, and great to read biographies of these different people. Uh, you know, we like to read maybe about past presidents and different things. And we, we get into that, right? And we, we like that. And so we start to, we start to study that. But one of the things that you start to learn as you start to study that is that for most of these people, the kingdoms that they ran, the countries that they ran, for a lot of it, that doesn't even exist anymore. Their kingdom is no longer there. You find ruins. You know, you can, you can find some archaeologists with a brush telling you that this brick actually was a huge castle. And they can tell you exactly what it looked like or whatever. But it, but it doesn't exist anymore. It, it's not there. It's because no other king and no other ruler can live forever and can rule forever. That is only designated for God. God alone can do this, and it's because he is forever, from beginning to end. Always, God has been and will be. We also understand that God is the source of all life. As he is self-sufficient, he has given life to all things. Nothing created, nothing created uh, God ever, because he always was and is. It, if you read to, uh, Tozer in there, he talks about the word origin. And everything has an origin. All people have an origin, but you have to keep going back and you keep going back and you keep going back. Well, God is origin. He's origin. He has no, or there is no, nothing that gave him. There's nothing that created him. He, he always has been. And, and it's actually, I would, I would really encourage you to study some church history, to read what the early church fathers had to write down on paper in the different creeds because they can really get real confusing when you read it, but they're trying to answer these questions. They're trying to say that as Christians, we believe God always has been. Nothing has created him. Nothing will ever destroy him. And they do this in thinking of the Trinity as well and talking about that. But nothing created God. God is the complete source of all things. He is the source of all things physical. Everything you see, everything you touch, everything you feel, God is the source of all those things. He created all those things. We see this in Genesis, right? God created. He took dust, dirt from the ground, and he took his breath, and he formed us. He created that. Created that. He created us. He also created the spiritual. Without God, there is no spiritual. He also created eternal life, created the heavens. He's created all these things. And we must recognize that in him. In Acts 17, 28, it says, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. We understand the self-sufficiency of God. We have to also recognize that he is the source of all life. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, I know I'm going fast and there's a lot here, but there's a lot to be said, I guess. In Romans eleven thirty six, listen to what Paul says. For from him and through him and to him are all things. 
To him be glory forever. Amen. Steve Lawson does a good job of pointing this out. He says, when we read from God, how it says from God, this expresses he is the source of all things. So from God comes all things. Through God expresses the fact that he is the means of all things. Catch that? But to God expresses that he is also the goal of all things. And so he's the source of everything. He is the, he is the reason everything can be. But then actually, he is the goal of everything. And so the goal of this earth, the goal of this creation in the end is for God's people to be with him, glorifying him forever. His glory is the end. His glory is the goal. Now, this is where a lot of people get hung up because they say God is a conceited person, right? They struggle with that. Well, God just must be completely conceited. No, you're actually acting pretty conceited. Because you think you know what's best for you. And what God tells us, the source of all things, the creator of all things, he tells us what is best for us as his creation is to honor him as his creation, is to worship him as his creation and to give him glory as his creation. And we have to be faithful to do that. And so as we see that scripture clearly shows us that God is self-sufficient, that he hasn't been created, all of these things well, what does this attribute then mean for us? As we know this about God, what does it mean for us? I think it means more than what I'm gonna mention, but I wrote down just four things real quickly. First is this. God alone is the self-sufficient one. I'm not. Many people have this idea that they get what they get on their own merit. I was taught this forever in public school. This was told to me all the time. Tim, you can achieve whatever you set your mind to. If you work hard enough, if you put enough effort into it, you will do it. I mean, just watch any, any sports thing, any, any awards thing. They will tell you the same thing. Listen, kids, dreams come true if you will just go and work hard. And that frustrates me to death when I see that because especially like for basketball players, they say, your dream came true because you're seven foot two. Not because you're that good. You're just really big. And that actually was a blessing of God, not of any of your own doing. You did nothing to be that tall. And so there's this false notion out there that by our own merit, by our own strength, by our own giddy up, whatever it is, we can achieve anything we want to do. Now, by God's great grace, he does give us drive. He gives us talents. He gives us ability. He allows us actually to achieve a lot of things. There are a lot of things that we can do, but we are not the self-sufficient one. We can do nothing on our own. We are not our own master. Even though people think they are, they are not. Many great men and women in the world have declared that themselves mighty, they have won wars, they've done all kinds of things, and they have reached to certain standards and statutes in life, and they rose to prominence, and they have declared themselves to be mighty. Some declared themselves to be gods, and that they must be worshiped as gods. But for all of those men and women throughout history, every single one of them who have declared this about themselves, this is kind of graphic, and I don't mean to be too graphic, but what Tozer says is they are currently being eaten by worms. They're dead. They're gone. Some of them are talked about. Some of them are thought about. Some of them have some books about them. 
Some of them have done good things. Some of them have done very bad things. But the fact is, with every single one of them, they found out at some point they were not self-sufficient. They did not get to where they were because of how great and how grand they were. The only reason they got where they were was because God let them get to where they were. The one who is self-sufficient allowed them to do that. And so it would do us well, first and foremost, in learning about God's self-sufficiency to recognize that in him. Second, since God is all-sufficient, we see in scripture that he can meet all of our needs. And he does that for his children. You you think about the passages where he says, you see the birds of the air. Me and and Jackson, I think it was Jackson, we were driving from somewhere. He's like, man, look at all those birds. I mean, it's like thousands of black birds And your mind has to go to that passage where he says, I care about all of those birds. If one falls to the ground, I know about it. I make sure that they have food. How much more important do you think you are to me? Jesus would say, Jesus would teach. I think about that. And I think about this, this whole self-sufficient God who doesn't need a thing is in perfect love, perfect unity within the Trinity. It would love us so much that he would create us and not just create us as like amusement for himself to look down and be like, look at those go. You know, I think about like the, uh, remember the old football games that some of you thought were awesome that would just vibrate and the guys would all move around on the board. And I, you, you called that a football game. Look at that thing go. God could have done that with us. Just go, just watch them and laugh at you. No, he created us and he loves us. And the Bible tells us to go to him with our needs, with our wants, with our desires, and that he is a good father who loves us and cares about us. And when we understand that he is self-sufficient, that he actually can meet our needs. That is an amazing thing. I talked a little bit this morning, but it's very hard. It's very hard as you wade into people and you are trying to bear burdens with people because you realize you can't meet most of their needs. The stuff that they're struggling with and that they're hurting, hurting with, you just can't do it. You know, you walk into somebody's home and they're like, I'm going to get evicted in a week if I don't come up with $12,000. I can't do anything about that. So what words am I going to say that's going to help that situation? I'll pray for you. Oh, that's comforting. When I'm homeless, out on the street, right? I realize that I can't meet as many needs as I think that I can, can meet, that I can do. And so when the Bible tells me that I serve a God who can meet all my needs, that he has everything at his disposal and that he loves his children, well, what an amazing thought. What an amazing truth. The third thing, even though we may feel insignificant to God, he calls us to cast all our cares on him. First Peter five, six to seven says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. The God of the universe cares about you as his child. Those of us who've been saved by his grace, he cares about you and he loves you. And we can't forget that. Even though we fall short, even though we sin, we have a loving father who still wants us to come to him with everything, with our hurts, with our pains. You know, I think about it like with with our own children when they're young, they come to us about everything, every little nick, right? Every little, I got my leg hurts, this hurts. And eventually, even the love that we have as parents, what do we do? 
stop whining. I mean, that's where, that's where we end up eventually. I mean, at first you're very loving. All right, okay. You know, you deal with it. You love them. You put the Band-Aid on even though they're not bleeding. This isn't going to do anything. I'll kiss it and make it better. We do that. But when they're 15 and still doing this, I'm not kissing that anymore. No, you got to get out of here. But this isn't the God that we serve. The God that we serve wants us to come to him and he cares for us and he loves us. And then also, it's amazing to think that even though we are, you know, we see ourselves as insignificant to God, God has created us and he has given us the ability to give God glory, to reflect his glory. In Ephesians, where we've been, chapter one, verse 11 and 12, in him we have an obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be what? To the praise of his glory. We can reflect his glory. We can give him glory. We can give him praise. And this is what gives value and worth to our existence. There's a lot of people today who don't know why they exist if there's no God and I'm just kind of floating around here and doing my thing, what is the point of all of this? Or you might hear this in churches. If God has a plan and he's sovereign and that plan is already all planned out, then what in the world is the point of me praying? What is the world of the point of me sharing with my neighbor or doing any of this stuff? You're telling me, you know, all this stuff that God has done. What is the point of me? Well, we see that in what I just read in Ephesians. The point of me is that God created me to reflect his glory, to worship him and to give him praise and to give him adoration and to love him. And then he's given me a book that tells me things that I can do to worship him and to praise him and to show the love that I have for him that reflects the grace that he has given me. I can share the gospel with people. I get to pray for people as he tells me to do these things. I have the privilege to be able to do this. And so my life is not worthless, right? My, my life is not just 70 some years or 80 some years and then I'm gone and forgotten forever. No, God made me for his glory and for his praise. See, sometimes I get down and out and I think about these things. I don't, I don't know the name of my great, great grandfather off the top of my head. You know, I, I don't know three greats down of, of grandmas. I don't, I don't know their names. And it almost makes me feel guilty. I, I've forgotten them. I, I don't know anything about them, right? And so they're just kind of gone, just kind of gone. And I would think about that and I would think, yeah, one day that's me. I have kids and they're here and they love me. Eventually they're gonna get married and they're gonna leave. They're gonna leave me. And then they're going to have kids and their kids are going to know me, hopefully, and love me, but then they're going to get married and I'm going to be old. They're not going to see me as much. Oh, it gets so depressing thinking like that. And you start to think, what the, what is all this for? This is what it's for. You were created for God's glory and you have the privilege of doing that. And as his child, you have the privilege of being able to do that forever, not just here on this earth. But one day in the new heavens and the new earth, we will get to praise and worship him forever. Our existence is not useless. It is very calculated and purposeful by God, the self-sufficient creator of all things. And then lastly is this, and this kind of comes from uh, Joel Beakey's book. He mentioned this in here and I thought this was really good and worth mentioning. 
if this is true of God, if he is the self-sufficient one, our worship should reflect God's self-sufficiency. The way we worship God should reflect this truth and this attribute about God. When we walk into these doors on Sunday or when you have your devotion time and your prayer time, I know this is hard for us to hear, but God does not need your worship. God does not need my worship. The way I exist is I need people to recognize me. If I went home every day and my kids completely ignored me and my wife never said a word to me, for the first day it might be kind of cool, actually. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll go to my room. After a while, you're thinking, what is going on here? You start to feel angry or upset. You're not being recognized. You're not being shown any love whatsoever. And it does something, it does something to you. It is, it is hurt. It hurts. I was just talking with somebody. It's been really hard to see COVID, how much it's hurt our church family. And not necessarily how our older folks have gotten COVID and gotten really sick. No, their separation has really hurt them to where now they don't get to go to McDonald's every morning because McDonald's is closed. And to see how rapidly it has hurt them is, is difficult. It's difficult to see that. And it's because we need this interaction. Well, sometimes we carry that to God. We walk into these doors and we bust into the doors as if, God, get ready. I'm gonna help you out today. I'm here. You're welcome. I'm here and I'm gonna pay attention. I'm even gonna sing these songs. Can you believe that? You are, you are welcome. God, God does not need our worship at all. It is actually our best good to worship him. And that's why we have to be very careful of how we worship him. If he's the self-sufficient God, if he's the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, then we better make sure when we worship God, we are worshiping God how he tells us to worship him. We must be very confident of that. And we must be very sure of that. Not how we like to worship him, not how we desire to worship him, but how he wants to be worshiped, how we must worship him. And that is difficult. It's difficult for us at times, but the fact that he is self-sufficient makes this a must. That's why we have in the Old Testament, God laid down all these laws for Israel. Why? Because they needed to know how to worship him. They needed to know how to do it. God had a way for it to be done and they needed to do it just like that. Do not add to this. Do not subtract from this law. This is the law. Do this. Obey this because this is how you must worship me. And now what was the problem? The Pharisees and the Sadducees starting adding to that law, didn't they? They started adding to that law and this is what Jesus had to confront them with. Oh, you do the law and you even do much more than the law. Aren't you so high and mighty? But he easily would just teach them and show them the error of their ways. We have to be careful with this as well as we approach God for worship. It's not something that we should take lightly. We shouldn't walk into these door, into this room with fear that, you know, if I step out of bounds, God's going to strike me down. I don't think that's going to happen because God is very loving and slow to anger and patient with us. But we need to make sure that if he doesn't need me, but yet he wants me to worship him, he wants me to love him, 
then the best thing I can do is to worship and love him how he has prescribed for me to do it. And sadly, for most, most of the time in our lives as individuals, we can get away from like the Sunday morning thing. The things that God desires for us become boring. Reading his word, praying, loving our family how we should, coming to church each week, doing these boring, mundane things. Listen, those are the things that God has given us to reflect glory to him each and every day. How dare we say that those are the boring things? How dare should we say, well, what if I did this? Wouldn't this be better? Wouldn't this attract more? Wouldn't this do more for you, God? No, God has told us what to do. So let's do it because he's the self-sufficient one. He owns everything. Everything is his and he will give us what we need to worship him how we should. I hope that you'll enjoy this series on attributes. There's, there's a bunch of them that we're gonna go through. I think I got like 14 of them, but there's more uh, that I can, can write and do. And so I, I hope to do that. Uh, but I, I hope that maybe you'll take some time if you do have Bible study that you do on your own, devotion time, that you'll do maybe a little more study on the aseity of God, the self-sufficiency of God, and learn more about that attribute of God in which God is the only one who has that attribute. Let's bow together. Let's pray together. I thank you for coming. You'll be dismissed after prayer. God, it is very humbling to think about this attribute of yours and how yet you do not need us. Before you created anything, you were in perfect love and unity in the Trinity. But yet, God, you still did create. You, you made man, you made woman, you made us in your image. And all throughout your word, we see how you love us and you care for us and you've made yourself known to us. And so God, I ask that you would help us where we are weak, where we are weak in our faith, where we are weak in our trust, where we are weak in our obedience. God, forgive us for those times when as individuals, we think that maybe we can make you bigger where we think that, hey, I can maybe add something here to the kingdom of God on my own behalf, my own doing. God, help us to do what you've called us to do, and that is to, to worship you, to honor you according to your word, how you have laid it out for us to do. Help us to be faithful to that. Help us to be excited about those things. God, for, for those of us who've been Christians maybe for a long time and things have just gotten a little dry, God, forgive us of that. That's not because of you. It's because of us. It's because of sin in our life. And so help us to recognize those areas of sin and to uh, repent of those things and to seek your face. God, we want to glorify you. We want to worship you in everything we say and everything we do. And so help us to do it. Help us to do that in our homes. Help us to do it at work. Help us to do it at the ball fields or in the gyms or wherever it is we go in our free time. And God, of course, help us to do it right here in this building, in this sanctuary, in this spot. Help us to worship you how we should so that we honor you how we are supposed to honor you each and every day. God, we thank you that you are creator. We thank you that you are sustainer. And God, I thank you that you have made yourself known to us and not just known to us, but you've adopted us into your family and you call us your own and you'll never let us go. And so God, I thank you for that. 
God, as we leave this place tonight, give us boldness. Help us honor you again with everything we say and everything we do. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.